You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be there today. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to be talking about money today. And I'm going to be talking about how you can give more. And some of you are like, oh, no. I phrased it very carefully. It's how you can give more. You're allowed to give more. And I also phrased it where I said, I'm going to talk about money today. But I'm not going to talk about your money because you have none. Everything that you have is God's. Every single thing. I've given this illustration before, but it's pertinent for all of us because I think we've all done it where you say, hey, your cousin's birthday party is coming today. Here's 20 bucks. Go buy him a present. And your son or your daughter, they run into the store with your $20 and buy a present for their cousin or whatever. And uh, they give it to them and say, hey, I got you this. They did not get him that. Oh, they took it off the shelf. But I paid for it. I paid for all of it, right? Um, all of us in here, when we hear about money and, and giving and things, it's like, hold on a minute. That's my money. You're starting already in the wrong place with a Christian perspective. All of it is God's. 100%. Your health, God's. Your house, God's. Your car, God's. The dollar bills you have, God's. The glasses on your face, the clothes on your back, the pews you're sitting in, the church building you're standing in, the warmth that you have right now, God's. The sun, God's. The universe, God's. And the list just, it doesn't end. It's all his. So you start there. That's how you start when you talk about money. You don't start with my money. It's God's money. It's God's house. It's God's glasses. It's God's car. It's God's clothes on your back. And David had that perspective. And that's why I'm going to read it to you again and listen closely to his perspective as he's getting resources for the temple. I'm going to read it out of uh, 1 Chronicles 29. And I've done all this in the ESV, so I'll just read it for you and just listen. And I'll point out the spots that I want you to hear. Therefore, David Bless the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heavens and in the earth. It is yours. That's, that's 100%. Heavens and earth, it's all God's. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted head above all. So he owns it all. He's the head of all of it. Both riches and honor, they come from you. So if you have any riches and if you have any honor, they come from God. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. All your strength, all your power, it's God's. All of it. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. All this thanks and all this praise to God is because it all comes from him, 100%. All the strength that we have, all the riches that we have, all the wealth that we have, anything that we have, we should be giving thanks to God for. 
But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things they come from you and of your own have we given to you, he says. He said, you gave us everything and we're giving it, giving it all back. It's all yours in the first place. All things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you. We're sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are just like a shadow. There's no abiding. We won't be here very long is what he's saying. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. This is where you start when you think about your resources. God's will for your resources. I write resources because some people don't have cash. They have time. They have strength. They have power. They have influence. Uh, they have a goat in the corner of a field somewhere. They have a necklace that they've saved that's been passed down generation to generation. They have land, and that's what they have. What is God's will for those things for you that God has given to you? When we think of the will of God for our resources, it's good to remember that all that we have comes from God. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33, says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him? That he might be repaid. I love that. How do you repay God for your life? You can't afford to repay God for your salvation. There is nothing that you could give that would cost the same as your very soul, your very existence. And Paul points it out. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? So you could say to God, hey, God, we're even now. We're even now. There is no even now. It's always your life is God's. He owns it. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Would you like some glory? We're all tempted to, especially when we're generous. I'll take a little bit of that glory, please. Here's $10. Give me some of that glory. It's like ridiculous. It's just as ridiculous as your child buying the present and saying, hey, that's for me. It was funded by your parents. You, there would be no present without your parents. And there would be no you without God. No wealth without God. No health without God. Nothing that you have without God. Where is glory for you in any of that? Zero. And you'll see that consistently through Scripture as Paul talks. That it is the grace of God that has allowed me to speak, that has allowed me to give, that has allowed me to give thanks, that has allowed me to praise. It is the grace of God working in me that has allowed me. Therefore, all glory to God. That is how we stay humble. That is how we stay generous. That is how we stay uh, confident in our giving. I was talking with the kids a little bit about this today, right? It's hard to give your stuff away to somebody who you know is going to abuse it. Or at least you think they are. But none of it's yours. How much stuff has God given to you 
and you have abused it. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Right? We give because we know that God has all of that under his control. If you give and they squander it, he's got that under control. God hasn't lost anything. His purposes are not thwarted. So you can be generous, even to people who you're not sure. You're like, it could go either way, 50-50 on this right now. Working at uh, the rehab I worked at in New Hampshire, there were countless parents who had spent so much money to get their children better, whatever that is. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands trying to get them out of their drug addiction until they themselves were impoverished. And the ministry that I was at was basically free. You try and raise some money, but it's basically free. And they work there and provide. But it's a great illustration there in the parents of being like Christ, who though he was rich, made himself poor that you might become rich. Those parents were sharing the gospel in their giving to the point where they had wealth and they gave it all away so that their children could become rich, hopefully. Rich in spirit, rich even financially, so they could hold a job, so they could provide for their family and stop ruining their lives, right? And these parents were getting this from the image of Christ, who you'll see in 2 Corinthians, who, though he was rich, made himself poor. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, and we all know this passage, and the hearing it is easy and the doing it is hard as usual. So whether you eat, starting in verse 31, or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What is God's will for your resources, whether it's your land, your car, your clothes, whatever it is, your resources that he has given to you that are his, not yours, is that you would glorify God with them. Are you doing that? You know, that's really hard. But it's easier if you know that all things come from God. That God has sacrificed that you might live. That you might not have the chains to be slavery to your stuff, to be a slave to stuff, but that you are free to give more. You can give more. You can give more. Meaning you're allowed to. I'm not telling you you have to. I'm saying you are free to because you know that God is the one who gave you the money. If I had told my kids, hey, kid, pull 20 bucks out of your little change jar over there and go buy your niece or nephew something. They'd be like, oh, you know, that's my money. It's hard then. But this is how we feel with our money. But it's God's. How free do they feel when they realize the $20 is from their parents? All of a sudden, they're like, I can get this, I can get this, I can get this, right? You are free to give more, to be generous, because the money is God's. You are free. You can give more. I'm not being specific about this church, even. You know a need. You can give more, right? Maybe there's a need here. You can give more. Maybe there's a need here or there. You can give more. You're allowed to. You should be free to give more. You're also free not to give. That's okay. You should not be under compulsion to give. And you'll see that as we continue as well. God's will for your resources is that you would use them all to the glory of God. 
That's his will for your resources. It should be a good time because it's his $20. It's his. And it's hard, but it's his. The Macedonian church got this. I had overlooked this passage before I was preaching this passage to a men's retreat, and I was like, I had never saw this before. This is really good in here. I knew this was like a nice passage about giving and whether we're under compulsion and all this stuff, but there's parts in here that I just like, I just missed completely. I don't know why. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. What's happening here, a little background, is the Jerusalem church, the Jewish church, was suffering under massive persecution, starvation, poverty, and Paul has been collecting funds to take to help the Jerusalem church. He's writing ahead saying, hey, you need to get this money ready, get it all in order, so that whenever I come, so that Titus can help take this money back with a man he talks about as a man who's of, of uh, high esteem, that everybody knows, so that they would know that Paul wasn't using it for something terrible, that he wasn't taking funds. So they said, we're going to send this guy with you. We're going to collect everything. You're going to take it all into Jerusalem. You can trust that. And so this is what's happening here is he's writing to the Corinthians saying, hey, remember that offering we did like a year ago that we've been raising money for? Continue in that. Continue with these funds. Continue raising these funds. The, the Christians in Jerusalem are hurting. And the great thing about this is he's asking the Gentiles to do this. You've heard in previous sermons before, right, that the Jews often looked down on Samaritans and on the Gentiles. They were God's chosen people, so why give to them? Why have anything to do with them to a certain extent? They were supposed to be a light on the hill. Look at us. Come to us. Not so much us go to you. And so... Now the tables, in a way, are turned, and Gentiles now have an opportunity, as they've been saved by Christ, as the grace of God works in their hearts, to give to the Jewish Christians. And so they've started collecting. And so this is what Paul says here. We want you to know, brothers, in verse 1, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Pause right there. Again, like I talked about before, notice what he's saying. I want you to know about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. And what he's going to say now is, look at them. It's not a vague grace of God. It's not an arbitrary grace of God. It's not, well, they're still alive, so that's the grace of God. Otherwise, God could have wiped them off the face of the earth. That's true. But then ask yourself the same question. If I was up here and I said, I want to show you the grace of God in Kay's life, in Janet's life, in Kathy's life, in Tom's life, in Art's life, and whoever's life. I want to show you the grace of God revealed here. What would I point to in your life to show the grace of God? Here's what Paul points to. When he's talking about the Macedonians, I want to show you the grace of God working in the Macedonians' life. This is given by God. This also is not them. He's not saying, look how awesome the Macedonians are. He's saying, look how awesome the grace of God is that they would do this. Verse 2, and a severe test of affliction 
their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a hoarding of supplies and a storing of stuff in a barn till it rots and dies. Right? None of that. What is it? For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy in their salvation, obviously not in their circumstances, but in Christ, and their extreme poverty, which is crazy that these two even go together. We have a rainy day and we're like, woe is me. These guys, who knows what they're living in? Who knows what they ate this morning, whether it was rotten or not, moldy or not, whatever. They got no fridge. Who knows what these circumstances are, but we know it's not just poverty, it's extreme poverty, but they have an abundance, an overflow of joy that caused them to be what? Overflow in a wealth of generosity. And then he goes on to describe this wealth of generosity, which is great. Notice, again, he ties it back to the grace of God. You're about to see the grace of God in these Macedonians. This is what it looks like. Extreme poverty, full of joy. This is what people should see in Christians because of the grace of God working in your life, that although you are in the dire circumstances, there is a joy that is unique to the Christian because of what Christ has done, not because of who you are. You are a sinner, saved by the grace of God, and therefore I can have joy in any circumstance, a peace that passes all understanding. They reacted strangely because it was the grace of God, not what is natural to common man, but uniquely. In the life of most people, the opposite would have happened in that extreme poverty. It's interesting, too, I have found in my life, the more money I make does not necessarily mean the more generous I will be. I might look more generous because maybe I can put more in their offering plate. doesn't mean my heart has changed at all. Right? Does that make sense? And Jesus gives this perfect illustration. He says, hey, there's all these guys dropping tons of money. They got trumpets blazing. They're doing a big scene about how much they're giving in the church. And then this woman sneaks in a little coin. Who gave more? Obviously, the woman did. Why? Because she gave everything she had. It's funny to watch billionaires give away tons and tons of money to different charities and stuff like that, right? Are they generous? I don't know. They have billions. What is 100 million? I don't know to them. I have no idea. Um, but it looks generous. We can all look generous and not be. I like to take people out to lunch. It's not because I'm generous necessarily. It's because I like lunch <laughs> out at a restaurant and I can afford to do it and I can afford to take people with me so it's a great excuse, right? It can look generous, but it doesn't have to be. It depends on what my goals are. What's my heart? Am I glorifying God? Am I helping people out? Am I having a good time? I could do all of them, honestly. <laughs> I've probably done them all at once. That's kind of how mixed up humans are in a way. But he's saying, look at these guys. They have nothing to gain from giving this money. They are already in extreme poverty. What do they have to gain by giving more? Nothing. They already have everything in Christ. That's what they realize. They already have everything in Christ. I can give more. What is more? More is not even mine. It wasn't mine to begin with. It's not mine now. I can give more. 
But I love, again, this passage keeps going further than I thought it would go as far as the grace of God being evident in their life. And this is what's so wonderful. Again, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify. Pause there. We should all be giving according to our means. Right? We should be a generous people. It just should be by nature, because God is generous with us, and therefore we are generous with other people. But this is what he says as well. And then they gave beyond their means. What does that look like? It means they suffered in their giving. There's giving, which I hope all of us do, right, in some way. And there's giving according to your means. And then there's giving beyond your means. That means you suffer when you give. You suffer with joy. That means you lost something. You missed a meal. You missed the outfit you could have bought, the movie you could have watched, the uh, warmth that night. Who knows what they lost? How do you go extreme poverty, give not only your means, but then give beyond your means when you're already in extreme poverty? I don't know what that looks like. He doesn't spell it out for us, but all we know is it's far, far worse than what we have. And they had joy in it. Not only that, it continues even further. And this is the part that I love the most. They gave it of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. When is the last time you begged to give more money? The missionary is like, hold on. That's enough. And you're like, please, just let me give you more. When's the last time you begged to give more money to a cause? That's what they were doing. And they had no money. Right? We have so much stuff. And we've never begged to give more money. As far as I know, I mean, maybe someone here has begged to give more money. Hey, please let me give you more money. Right? Maybe we've said, hey, let me pay for your lunch. Or, hey, let me do this or that. And they're like, no, 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 no. And you're like, yeah, but let me... But you weren't in extreme poverty. You weren't giving above your means. This is the grace of God being revealed in these people. This is why he's making the point. And the point wasn't to say, you have to give like them. He says it right here. This is according to their own accord, not under compulsion. They did this freely. We were telling them, stop. And they were like, no, let us give you more. I'm sure I can find something back here in these cupboards. I'm sure, you know, whatever it is, I can talk to my neighbor. I can do, I can do a little extra work. I'll get you some more so that they could have the favor and the joy of giving more because God had given so much to them. You can give more. You do not have to give more. But you can because you're a Christian and none of this stuff is yours. Zero of the stuff that you have, that you're sitting on, that's in your bank account is yours. 100% of it from God. The grace of God is the thing that turns beggars into givers, murderers into missionaries. The grace of God reminds us all things come from God and are for God. Again, God is the one who's seen as great here. Paul is not boasting of the Macedonians. Paul is boasting of the grace of God in the Macedonians. What is the thing that someone would boast about in your life 
the grace of God in their life is so evident in this way. Also, the Macedonians were looking for an applause. They weren't looking for any favor from the people. They were looking to join in with the people who were giving. They wanted to be a part of the relief of the saints. They begged for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They had to beg because nobody wanted to let them continue to go deeper and deeper into their poverty, and they were happy to do it, which again is crazy. There's a lot of things that are kind of open-ended here in this passage, and those are things that you would have to work out with Scripture. What do I mean by that? Did these people have children? Were their children suffering more because they were giving more? Were these people in debt? Were they in more debt because they were giving more? It doesn't talk about any of that. And chances are good, everybody was on board. The kids, the wife, the husband. A lot of times that sometimes can be the hardest part in a relationship. You want to give X, Y, Z, and so-and-so is not on board with that X, Y, Z. Whether it's your husband or your kids or whatever. You're planning a trip and you you really want to give this thing and you know you're going to have to cancel that trip. Whatever it is, it tends to be someone's not on board. I don't think Paul would have used it as an example if they were all in debt and they were all hurting their children more than they ought to or they weren't on board in the suffering. I'm guessing they were all on board in this suffering. They knew the joy of the Lord. He was their strength. They knew that they had been generously generously given to by God in saving their souls. They were Gentiles who thought they would never be grafted in, and yet they were. Now they are a part of the church in Jerusalem. Now they are a part of the church worldwide, and they want to give to the needs there. This is the grace of God working in their life. We are so blessed, but it is not the money in our lives that is the greatest thing. Because if it was the money that was the greatest thing, we wouldn't give it away. We are so blessed because we have Christ, first and foremost. Because we have a relationship with him, because our sins have been forgiven, because we're at peace with God. That is the greatest blessing that we have. You can give it all the rest away. You can give more. You do not have to give more, but you can. You can for sure. Macedonians, they just like kept trying to find more stuff to give away. And that's the example, not of them, but of the grace of God in their lives and what the grace of God can do in your life as well can make you forgive your worst enemy. In fact, give them a glass of water, right? It can make you give your wealth, give up your vacation, give up your comfort even, give beyond your means, meaning that you might suffer, in fact, to give. You can do that. And there's something interesting in giving as well. And that is that if you already are poor... Um, giving sometimes is like, well, I'm used to giving. It's kind of easy. I'm used to having nothing, so what's a little more nothing? Um, Sometimes it's a greater sacrifice for people with wealth to give a ton 
than it is for the poor. But the point here is that the impoverished were so impoverished to the extreme, yet they had joy because their joy was in Christ and in Christ alone. In relation to God, we have nothing when it comes to wealth, and yet so much of our confidence is tied into our bank accounts and the things that we live in or drive in. When our confidence should be in Christ, we should be free to give because everything has been given to us freely, more than we deserve. Verse 5, though, is great. This is, again, just like one more rehashing of why you give. Verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. This is the point. You're not going to give more if you don't first give yourselves to God. First you give yourselves to God. Then you're free to give your life away to everybody else. But if you haven't been comforted and forgiven and realized everything that you have is God's, to give to everyone else is so much harder. You're just doing it for applause or maybe to content your own uh, soul, the guilt that you might have for being selfish. But the Christian should be full of joy in giving because it's God's. It's his $20, Right? Happy to give it. Happy to do it. How can I glorify God with what he has given me? I can give more if I want to. The Macedonians had given themselves first to the Lord, and it was no strange thing to give their lives away to others. In fact, it was the will of God that they give their resources, even their whole lives, to others. It says in the end of verse 5, Then by the will of God they gave themselves to us. The Macedonians knew this one fact by the grace of God. Should they give everything away, they still have the greatest thing, which is Jesus. Just a little bit further down in 2 Corinthians, if you look there. Just a little bit further down, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 9. I'd said this a couple times, but I just want you to see where it is in here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So right in the midst of this section of Scripture where we're talking about giving, he's saying, here's the example the Macedonians knew. Here's the example you Corinthians know as well. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has not done anything. He has not asked you to do anything he has not done himself. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. The goal of my message today, right now, is not that you would give more, but that you can give more. When you recognize you already have everything you need in Christ, you can, if you want to, give more. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way or not, but you can. There is joy in it. 
What you have right now is God's. What is there to give that God does not already own? God's will for your resources that you use them to his glory of your own accord as you see fit according to scripture, even in your poverty, should the grace of God so move you to do so. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word and for your sacrifice. We thank you that you've revealed your ways to us, who you are, how you would have us to live, and our forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We thank you for this time together to take communion, that we would remember you and your sacrifice, your giving of your body, your shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins, that we may have joy, that we may know you, that we have peace with God. In Jesus' name, amen. And turn our hymn books to 461. We're going to sing the first, the third, and the fifth verse of this song before communion. First, third, and fifth. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of life's treasures Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like Thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, Blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in Thy sweetness, come in Thy fullness. Stamp Thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like Thee while I am pleading. Pour out Thy Spirit, filled with Thy love. Make me a temple, meet for thy dwelling. Fit me for life and heaven above. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness. Stand thine own image, speak on my heart. You think on this, we're, we go back to the Corinthians. Oh, I don't know. 
end up falling backwards. But um, the Corinthians were a church that needed lots of teaching, and uh, in this passage here, he's teaching on the Lord's Supper, and it starts out with a discussion about how they're all bringing food and eating here, but not everybody has food. And so the ones who have lots of food are filling up good, and the ones who don't have any are starving. And the ones who have it aren't giving to the ones who don't. So the churches are really getting together and enjoying and loving one another and caring for each other. They're just getting together. And then out of that, they take communion, but they, they didn't come to the same place. They weren't a family where they did this together and enjoyed the Lord's Supper together. They were all split apart. They each had their own stuff, and they each did it separately and individually and separated from each other. We come together to do this together and rejoice together. At after he talks about it, he also says, there's a manner in which you do this. And you need to have your heart in the right place. You don't want to do this in a way that's unworthy of taking it. You're his child. But we aren't always perfect in the way we live. And he wants us to get our life together. He wants us to recognize those things we need to care for and take care of before we take communion. And I, I would hope people would come preparing like that. But remember that as we pray, it's your opportunity too to just share with the Lord the things you need to straighten out in your life. And be ready to take communion in a way. We don't want you not to take it if you know him and love him. But we want you to take it and feel as though you're taking it worthily. He's done an amazing thing. We just heard a message that reminded you of how amazing God has cared for you and that you're all His. And that sacrifice is incredible. So here Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For what, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, as we take of the bread, as we drink of the cup. Do it in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we partake of this bread, as we, as we pass it around, as we think over our relationship with you, might we be rejoicing in what you've done for us. And might our partaking in this be as a family who loves one another and is doing this together to bring glory to you. We do this until the day we meet you in glory, when we can drink the cup with you. So Lord, thank you for this time. Help us as we do this, to do it for you, in Christ's name. Amen.
Paul reminded you that he broke the bread and gave thanks. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we think of how you loved us, how you love us still. We aren't worthy of that love, and we know that your death on the cross was for us, even when we were yet your enemies, yet in our sins. <coughs> you shed your own blood to wash our sin away that we might have a relationship with you. As we take it, might we be reminded and rejoice in what you've done. Excited that you loved us so much. In Christ's name. Same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink ye all. Today we're going to stand and sing together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 